Father God, as we come to you today, we just tell you that truly you are great. God, that there is no one like you. And Lord, as we proclaim that today, as we proclaim your greatness and your glory, as Jesus Christ is lifted high, Jesus, that you would draw people into yourself. Lord, that lives are changed, hearts are changed. God, that we would just leave here with a new, just all of you, of who you are, because what you've done in our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray you use us for your glory. And I pray now as we hear your word, God, it would not lay on deaf ears, but God, it would lay on hearts that are willing and ready to receive your word. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would work, that you would move, and that you would receive the glory this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I'm a little stove up today. Y'all know what stove up means? I'm a stove up. This morning, I, I like espresso coffee. I like it really strong, and I've got one of those little espresso machines. And uh, so I made my first one. To let, let you know something. That it, I made my first one, and I forgot to turn it off. And I was in a hurry to make my second one. And when I went to take off my thing, that thing had some pressure, and it went all over the tables and the kitchen and everything, and I had a mess everywhere. Oh, man. So I went and got me a towel and wetted it up and cleaned all that up and got it all fixed up and stuff and and uh, had to run and get something else, and I was coming back through the kitchen, and, man, I busted it. I mean, my feet, my, my bare feet hit that tile floor, and I was down before I knew it. And it must have made one big sound because Susan came running in and says, my gosh, what happened to you? And I just went, what happened to me? She said, what happened to you? Why are you on the ground? And I said, well, just a half a second ago, I was standing right where you were. <laughs> and it's amazing how fast you can fall. Think about that for a moment. It's amazing how fast you can fall. You can think you got it all together. You can think that you're making good choices, good decisions. You think that you're moving in the right direction. It's amazing how fast you can fall. We have to be very, very careful with our decisions, with our attitude, with our devotion, we've got to be careful because we have an enemy that fights against us. We have our flesh that fights against us. And if we're not careful, the scripture clearly reveals to us that there's not one of us who are exempt from a rapid fall. And before you know it, you'll be completely on your back head hit the tile floor first, backs hurting, legs hurting, elbows all torn up, and you thought, man, just, I was doing so well. What happened? What happened to me? Well, in today's scripture, we've got a good lesson for us about some of the things. There are other things that the scripture, of course, is not going to mention today, but we see here through the young King Hanan how quickly you can fall. And I think these are some real good lessons for us. So 2 Samuel chapter 10. I think 
some of you do like I've done. Said I, I, I should have known that years ago. I wish I had known that years ago. I, you'll sit around and think about things that happened. You said, wish I'd have known that when that took happen. That happened. Maybe I could have had a little better response in the day. It says in chapter ten, verse one. Sometime after this, King Nahash of the Ammonites died. Now, Ammon, of course, Ammon Jordan, the Ammonites were across the Jordan River into what is modern-day Jordan. And his son, Hanan, became king. That's usually what took place. That's what happened in Israel, and that's what happened with the Ammonites. David said, now listen to what David commands, what he says here. I am going to show loyalty to Hanan, just as his father, Nahash, was always loyal to me. So... David sent ambassadors to express sympathy to Hanan about his father's death. But when David's ambassadors arrived in the land of Ammon, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanan, their master, do you really think these men are coming here to honor your father? Do you really think that's what's going on? Can these men be trusted? Do you really think this is what's going on, in other words? No, they answered. David has sent them to spy out the city so they can come in and conquer it. Now, consider what's going on in Hanan's life at this time. Brand new king. He had been watching his father lead the Ammonites. The commanders were loyal to his dad. They had a good relationship. And obviously, Nahash and David had a good relationship. They were loyal to each other. They let their neighbor be, which is really hard to believe in that day and time because there was so much conflict in the land. But there was a good relationship. And, and here, Hanan is trying to, you know, he's trying to get his reign established. Now, if you're a king or a dictator... Even today, one of the things you've got to do if you're going to be able to be the governor of your, of your country, you've got to have the military on your side. We see that happen all the time in Central America, South America, in Africa, and different places like that that struggle with uh, government uh, coups and turnovers. You know, the military, if they choose to go their own way, that, that king or that dictator is in a bad spot because the military's got the power. Well, he wants to please the military commanders. He wants to get them on his side. So the scripture here says that when the ambassadors of David show up in Ammon and, and all the commanders come, they advise Hanan that he ought not to listen to these ambassadors. That's not what David is doing. That's not what's happening here. You need to be careful. They're out to get us. They're going to spy out our land. They're going to see how you're running things. And they're going to come right behind those spies. And they're going to take over our country. They're going to take over your kingdom. So, verse 4, Hanan seized David's ambassadors, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their robes at their buttocks and sent them back to David 
in shame. Now, to cut a man's beard off in that day and time, you were taking away from him which was the thing that he had most pride in being a man and his appearance. It was his beard. And they done shaved off half their beard, cut off their robes. Now, how'd they get there? First of all, we see here a lesson for life. And that lesson is this. Are you listening to the right people? Are you listening to the right people? Obviously, Hannon listened to the wrong people in this story. The wrong people was his commanders. They got this wrong. They, they, they should not have distrusted David. David had good intentions. Now, Hammond would have been in better shape if he would have said, let's investigate the possibility that David has good intentions. But he, had no, he wanted nothing to do with that, and he had the ambassadors uh, cut half their beard off, cut their robe off, and sent them back to David with shame. you got to ask yourself the question, who's influencing you the most? Who has the greatest influence in your life? Who do you honor the most? And, and who you honor is basically the person that you listen to the most. Are you honoring the things of Jesus? Are you honoring wise people in your life? Or are you like Hannon in this particular case, and you have such a need to please people around you, and you probably realize that the people that you are listening to are the people that you believe, for whatever reason, are the most important people in your life for you to please. Whenever you get yourself into a pleasing people mode, people pleaser, uh, you get yourself in a mess quickly. You can fall very quickly when you're trying to please other people. Now, Hannon listened to the wrong people. He wanted to please them. He wanted to keep them on his side. He wanted to value them, but it got him in a bad, bad place. So, ask yourself the question, who are you listening to? Who has the most influence in your life? Is the people that you are most likely to listen to in your life, are they the people that are going to instruct you, advise you, counsel you to make the right choices? Are they the people that are going to lead you to honor God? Are, they the, are, you know, are your friends the people that you need to have an ear to? And so here we see the lesson of listening to the wrong people can get you in a mess. Are you listening to the right people? The next thing we see here is the, uh, the creation of shame in the ambassadors of David. Shame. Shame is a feeling of worthlessness, helplessness, hopelessness. Shame is a disgust of your life. Shame is when you feel, when you believe that you are at fault in all things, and shame has great power in it. And shame has power to harm you to be a deterrent to you having a good, flourishing life for a long, long, long time. 
When shame runs its course and when shame has a deep root in a person's life, there are consequences of that are things like unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, grudge holding, and resentment. And a lot of people that you know that are the angriest people, the, the people that you say, that's the most bitter guy I know. That lady there is the, is the largest grudge holding lady I've ever seen. Now, they may not be aware of this, and you may not be aware of that, but if you go back and, and, the, and the creation of the bitterness, the resentment, the grudge holding is shame, is shame. When shame began, the fuel started to take people down the wrong road. And here in verses 4 and 5, David's ambassadors went with, with the king's wishes, right? They went and they were completely embarrassed among the Ammonites. Had half their beard cut off, had their robe cut off. And in verse 5, it says, When David heard what had happened, he sent messengers to tell the men, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow out, and then come back. For they felt, it says, deep shame because of their appearance. Deep shame. A man by the name of Tim Sledge uh, uh, became a pastor later in life and uh, wrote a book that was very helpful to me. It was a book that was put together to help people who are struggling from uh, being most influenced by a dysfunctional family. Now, I would imagine, depending on the different definition that different people have for dysfunction, probably most of us have a dysfunctional family and we're raised in a dysfunctional family. So I'm being broad-based with the definition. But we have to go back to the time that we were most influenced by this dysfunction and there are things we've got to relearn. There's things that we've got to deal with. There's things that we've got to face and be honest about facing those things or we are going to be stuck in a spot of shame and shame is going to have a strong hold on us. And he began his study by telling about some stories. He grew up in West Texas. Uh, he remembered as being a young, young boy in the evening, late, his mom waking him up from his sleep and putting him in the car and driving around to the two or three bars that were in their small town looking for his dad. You see, he grew up and his dad was the town drunk. His dad was the town drunk. He remembers that kids at school said, I guess your dad came home drunk again last night. He said, why? Well, I said, we noticed his pickup truck was out in the middle of the road this morning. We noticed his pickup truck was in your front yard. We noticed his pickup truck was sparked down the road. I guess he thought he was home trying to make it. And he said that he grew up with a lot of shame in his dad being the town drunk. It was horrible for him. However, the worst part about it is, he said, he grew up not knowing about shame. He grew up not understanding that. 
And as time went on, he became a good adult. He went to college, went to seminary, and he was passing a church in Houston. And he said his church began to grow and the Lord began to bless what they were doing. And he said that when he would stand before the congregation and begin to present the sermon, he began to experience anxiety attacks. And he got to the place where in his life, that in his week, that he just couldn't face the congregation anymore. He would prepare his sermon, he would be ready to preach, he'd be ready to share the scripture, and he said that he would get up in front of the crowd and he would have those sweats, his heart would race, he would feel just weakness, and, and, and he would just tremble. And he went to some counselors and he began the process of trying to figure out what it was. Was it a fear of being in front of people? Was it a fear of public speaking? And he said he never had any of those issues before, and it wasn't until there started being more and more and more people that were coming to the congregation, that this anxiety began to take over. And he had to go to out in Arizona to a, a, a place where he could go and stay in patient care and find the help for him. And through the counseling sessions that he had, it said it took a long time to get where he needed to get. But here's what they discovered. They discovered that he had a tremendous fear of success and it was connected to the shame that he had that began and was created when he was a boy in that small West Texas town. He had to deal with the shame. He had to come to terms with the impact the shame had made on him. He had to come to terms with his childhood, with, with his parents and how he was raised. And, and he went on to say that he had great uh, uh, anger and resentment towards his parents because of how he was raised and all the things he went through. Well, it was just it was just that shame had such a hold on him that he couldn't deepen as an adult emotionally and spiritually, and he was paralyzed by the fear of success. And so you had the event of shame that had nothing to do with him. It wasn't his fault his dad was a town drunk. It wasn't his fault that his mother put him in those situations and, and, and they had the shame of bring, bringing their dad home from the bars at night. That had nothing to do with him. He hadn't done anything wrong, but the impact of shame was, was just powerful on him and had a strong hold on him. He had to learn what he was responsible for and what he wasn't responsible for. He had to acknowledge there were problems in my family. There were issues in my family. I've got to understand that. He had to understand how deep God's love goes. He had to realize that God's love was for him like it's for everyone else that he was preaching to. He had to understand that grace makes all the difference and grace is completely sufficient. And, and it took a long time for him to come to a place where he could take who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him and put him in the, the, the king's seat in his life so he could begin to recover from the result of shame in his life. You might be struggling with shame, not even know it. You might say, all this time, I just thought I was quick-tempered. It might be shame. Might not be, but it might be shame. You may be shamed of some things you've done in your life. 
and you haven't accepted the Lord's forgiveness. You haven't forgiven yourself. You may be shamed of decisions that you've made. You may be shamed of who your family is. You may be ashamed of that. You may be shamed of what your dad does or doesn't do. That may how you've grown up. You may be like Reverend Sledge. And shame has got a hold on you. And, and you got to see how powerful shame is and acknowledge it and spend the time with the Lord acknowledging who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You see, David understood that those guys did not need to return back to Jerusalem in the state they were in. Now, common sense would say, or a quick response or fixing the matter would say, just shave and come on back home and get yourself a robe. Get on back here. It wasn't your fault. I'm going to take care of Hannon. He's going to pay for what he did for you. By George, this is going to stop right now. You boys don't worry about it. You get on back here. But, but David knew better than that. And there was no quick fix for their shame. And I'm telling you, there's no quick fix for shame. It's a process. It's like an onion that's got to be pulled back. And, and we who have experienced shame, we go through a process of learning less about who we think we are, how we feel, our situation to who Christ is and what he's done for us and what he's doing through love, mercy, grace, through reconciling us to himself on a daily basis. David knew it. And his solution was, stay in Jericho until your beard grows out again. And then come on back to Jerusalem. The next lesson we can, we can learn here. Look at verse 6. Now, I love the English Standard Version for this verse, but we were using the New Living Translation this morning. The English Standard Version says when, the, when they realize that they were a stench to David. <laughs> Do you realize you're a stink to me? That, that's an old-fashioned way of saying, I don't like what you've done. You're in my crosshairs now. I'm about to put a whooping on you. Get on over here. You, gotta, you ever had someone say, you got a squaring off place? You ever heard that? Someone says, I got a squaring off place. Well, get on over here. We'll get in my squaring off place and we'll hand it. I'm going to take you behind the woodshed. You heard that one, hadn't you? I'm going to take that guy behind the woodshed. Well, when the people of Ammon realized how seriously they had angered David, and he was set to take them behind the woodshed. They sent and hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from the lands of Beth Rohab and Zobah, 1,000 from the king of Makkah, and 12,000 from the land of Tob. Hanan looks around and says, We've done made David mad. We better get us some troops in here. He hired them. And so obviously he realized he had made a mistake. He realized that he, he didn't have the troops. He did not have the men to anger David because he has to go find them. It says in verse 7, When David heard about this, he sent Joab and all his warriors to fight them. The Ammonite troops came out and drew up their battle lines as the entrance of the city of David, while the Arameans from Zobah and Rehob and the men from Tob to Makkah positioned themselves 
to fight in the open fields. It is on. It's going to happen here. And it's all because Hanan listened to the wrong people. But there's a second part to this. Not only did he listen to the wrong people, but he dug his heels in. You know what it means to dig your heels in? Let's try this one. Got an idea. I just thought of it, so it, it may not work. This may or may not work, but let's talk about what it means to dig your heels in. Zachary, come here. Come here, Zachary. Pennington, stand up. All right. We got an offensive guard and we've got a golfer. There we go. All right. Y'all fight until one gives up. No. You put it down, that golfer put it on you. That's what he said. Okay, turn around. You turn around, not you, Zachary. You follow instructions. I'll speak slowly if you can understand. Here you go. All right. I want you to grab him around the chest here behind him, like so. Grab a hold of him. Now, you need to pull him backwards as fast as you can, and I want you to use whatever you have to stop him. Ready? You're going to go backwards, Zachary. One, two, three, go. All right, come back and try again. All right. Now dig your heels in. My heels? What do you mean? Dig your heels in. Like this. It's the only way you can do it. Put your both feet out and dig your heels in. You don't know how to get away from anybody. Okay. Dig your heels in. Now go backwards and dig your, he dig your heels in. See, that's your only way, right? To dig those heels in. Dig those heels in. All right. Thank you for your help. Anybody? Anybody? Did it go? Oh, did the light go on? Anybody? Thank you. Now, here's a serious, serious problem. When you dig your heels in, you can't admit you're wrong. We have that problem, don't we? We all have that problem. We know we're wrong, but we're going to dig our heels in. Pride gets going, Hannon's pride. He can't lose face with his people. And, and here it is, he makes a mistake by not taking David at his word, and, and, and he makes the mistake worse by shaming the ambassadors of David, and now he makes it worse by digging his heels in, and he doesn't even have enough men to fight David. What's he thinking? Not a good king. Not a good decision maker. We're most likely to end up in the, on, the, on that kitchen floor when we dig our heels in. We just won't admit we're wrong. We won't admit our fault. We won't admit... How much better things might possibly have been if Hannon would have said, now, David, I want to meet with you. Here's what happened. 
Your men came. And you know I'm young in this business. I haven't been king as long as you have. Now, now, David, I want you to know that what I want is I want the same relationship that you had with my dad. That's really what I want. But, but man, I lost my thoughts. I lost my focus. I, I, I lost my bearing here in this situation. And, and when your men came, I listened to my commanders and I shouldn't have listened to them. Can you forgive me? Can you see that I was wrong and I made a mistake? And, and I put myself in the wrong place. I put my reign in the wrong place. I put my troops in the wrong place. David, I don't even have enough men to fight you. I don't want to fight you. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You may have an ongoing conflict with someone in your family. You may have an ongoing conflict with someone at work. There may be something that you're sideways with somebody over, and you can't even remember what it was about. You just know that you're not speaking to them, and by gosh, you're not going to speak to them. And, and, and it could all be possibly solved, reconciled. It could be renewed. The relationship could be put back where it needs to be if you just say, I was wrong. That's, that's our responsibility. Romans says that as far as it depends on us, be at peace with all people. But we make mistakes when we dig our heels in. We dig our heels in. The fourth thing here, verses 9 through 12. When Joab saw that he would have to fight on both the front and the rear, he chose some of his Israelites' elite troops and placed them under his personal command to fight the Arameans in the fields. He left the rest of the army under the command of his brother Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. If the Arameans are too strong for me, then come over and help me. Joab told his brother, and if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come and help you. Be courageous. Let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. So, these two commanders, Abishai and Joab, they are brothers. They are teammates. They're going to work together. And you see here the value of teamwork. And you see here, here's what's going to take place. If you start losing, I'll come help you. If we start losing, we'll come, you come help me, right? We're going to help each other, in other words. In other words, we're not going to go at this alone. One of the greatest mistakes you can make in life is when you choose that you're going to go at life alone, all by yourself. You're not going to let your husband help. You're not going to let your wife help. You're not going to be open to a small group to a group of friends, to some influencers, some helpers. You're just going to go at life all by yourself. There's some reasons for that. One is fear. You don't want to let anybody else in. You don't want anybody else's advice. You don't ever want anyone to know that you're weak when you are weak. You don't want anybody else to know your mistakes when you make mistakes. You don't want anyone else to know that, that you are absolutely not the person that you want to be. But the truth of the matter is, none of us are the person that we want to be. 
We're all growing. We're all maturing. We're all trying to get where we need to be. It's a process that we make. And if we go at life all alone, we're smarter than everybody else. We're not going to listen to what they got to say. We're going to do our thing. We're not going to listen to other people's advice. We're not going to learn from the right people. We're not going to be influenced. We're going to do our thing. We're going to put ourselves in a position of failure. Because I I believe with all my heart that no one is capable of making it themselves. We've all got to have people in our lives. Now, I know that because that's God's plan. That's God's way. And if you don't need people by George because you've got it all together, you know what's going on, you're likely to fall like I did in that kitchen this morning. It says in 1 Corinthians The most likely people to fall are the people that says there's no possible chance they're going to fall. And when we isolate ourselves from other people, it's it's a grave mistake. And these two commanders, who, by the way, had more people the other side, their, their troops were better trained. They had the weapons. They had the men. They had what was needed here. But yet they had the understanding to say, man, this is going to be a journey. This is going to be a fight and I may need help. And if I need help, please come help. You and I need help. We need help. We need a small group of people to study the Bible with. We need help. We need people to do life with. We need help We do need the body of Christ. We need help. We all need help. From the pastor on down to the little kids that came forward. Every age, every maturity in Christ, we all need help. And so the lesson that we can learn here is the value of teamwork. Are you a team player? Are you a good team player? Are you, are you able to let other people in your life? Or are you always working to isolate yourselves from other people? Are you able to stand on the sideline and let watch other people play and support them? Are you able to not get the notice? Are you able to not be in the limelight? Are you able to play a backup role, perhaps, if that's your situation in life? But you value the team and you see that The stronger the team is, the stronger you are, because that's the absolute truth. The stronger we are as a a people of the Lord, the stronger we all are. And we need to see that we are like those redwoods. Man, our, our roots, they link on with each other, those sequoias, so that the trees can grow real strong and big and and stand strong against the storms. And that's what we are to be in the body of Christ. Teamwork goes a long way. And then the last part here, the last lesson for this passage. When Joab and his troops attacked in verse 13, the Arameans began to run away. And when the Ammonites saw the Arameans running, they ran from Abishai and retreated in the city. After the battle was over, Joab returned to Jerusalem. The Arameans now realized that they were no match for Israel. So when they regrouped, they were joined by additional Aramean troops summoned by Hadazer from the other side of the Euphrates River. 
These troops arrived at Helam under the command of Shobach, the commander of Hadassar's forces. When David heard what was happening, he mobilized all Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and led the army to Helam. The Arameans positioned themselves in battle formation and fought against David. But again, the Arameans fled from the Israelites. They had nothing. They had no stakes in the battle. <laughs> Whatever they were being paid wasn't enough. They saw all was lost. But again, the Arameans fled from the Israelites. This time, David's forces killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers, including Shobach, the commander of the army. When all the kings allied with Hadassar saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they surrendered to Israel and became their subjects. After that, the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites. What did Hanan have left? Nothing. Nothing. He had nothing left. No one would fight for him. No one would fight with him. His army was depleted. And it didn't have to be that way. Think about all the things that happened in your life. Poor choices you've made, listening to the wrong people. Perhaps some shame that impacted you. Perhaps you knew you were wrong and you dug your heels in and you wouldn't admit you were wrong. Perhaps God provided for you a team. He provided for you a family. He provided for you a church family. He provided for you people that, that really wanted to hang on to you and help you through life, but you just refused it. You just walked away from it. You rejected it. You just, you just had too much pride to let anyone in and let them know how you really are and be completely honest with them. And, and these things all took place, and the result of it was you experienced consequences that you didn't have to face. It didn't have to be that way. Now, that's important for us to understand. I need to learn the lessons in life that when I find myself in adverse consequences that were of my own choosing, it didn't have to be this way. And learn from those mistakes and not return to the vomit like a dog does. You have a dog returns to his vomit, licks it up. That's used in the book of Proverbs. It's described a foolish person that makes the same mistakes over and over and over and keeps on doing it and wondering why in the world life isn't better. So, who you're listening to? Are you listening to the right people? Shame. No fault of your own. But you know you have shame from a failure, a mistake. Something happened. Perhaps. You might have dug in your heels or you're digging in your heels. You're not willing to admit, you know, I'm wrong, Lord. I'm wrong about this, I'm wrong about that, I'm wrong about my bitterness, I'm wrong about my attitude. Lord, I don't, I'm, I'm angry and I don't even have the right to be angry. And you come to terms with it. Lord, I've rejected teamwork for a long time. I've rejected other people in part of life. You know, I've used the excuse, that's just how I am, that's how I was raised. 
and, and, and man, I see that that isolationist policy doesn't work. <laughs> isolationist policies don't work. And you experience consequences like Hannon that you didn't have to. May the Lord just bless us, strengthen us. Lord, I pray you'll speak to us. Father, help us do business with you today in a way, Lord, that's honoring to you. And help us learn how to walk forward by faith and in strength and in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just come forward.